0: You're listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Wehrt, and this is a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join me every week in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. This is part two of my conversation with Hillman Hui, Vice President of Bombex and Vice President at PFG. PFG is a manufacturing company with factories across mainland China and Hong Kong doing textile production, dyeing, weaving, cut and sew, and logistics. They have a long history of producing for brands like Eileen Fisher. Bombix is a subset of PFG formed in 2018. Their focus is on regenerative silk production and transforming the way silk is produced, traded, and consumed. They're on a mission to do everything from dirt to fabric and beyond. In case you missed it, in part one we covered Hillman's entry point into the world of garment manufacturing, the evolution of PFG, and how this ultimately led to Bombex, and how Bombex approaches regenerative silk production within its own operations. In this episode, we get into the barriers. If regenerative silk is so great, why doesn't everyone do it? Was everyone within PFG on board with the idea of Bombix from the beginning? What did getting the green light for this project take? And why did the push for Bombex come from within rather than, as many might assume, from the brands for which they produce? If you enjoy listening to Hillmond, which I don't know why you wouldn't because he is incredibly articulate and eloquent, uh, be sure to come back in two weeks on 30 November for our next set of episodes, which is a conversation between Hillmond Mustang Group, which is an India based manufacturing company and somebody working in ESG investing for Triodos Bank. This podcast is a passion project and a labor of love. Support the show by following me on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast, or sign up for the bi-weekly newsletter at www.manufacturedpodcast.com for an overview of the latest episodes, articles I've recently published, and links to off-the-beaten-path reading. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can make a Patreon donation at www.manufacturedpodcast.com. Last but not least, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes and hit subscribe. This helps other people find the show, and I'd really love your help with that. Thelmond, we closed part one of this conversation with a little bit of speculation on my part as to why if regenerative silk production is so great, everyone doesn't do it. But I'm curious to hear your take. Especially because, as I pointed out in part one, you're not your your the sale price of this regenerative silk is not even higher than conventional silk.
1: Okay. Um I mean there's there's how do I say this? It is it is a heavy, heavy investment um, not just to do all of this sustainable um, uh, how, what do I call it it's I don't have a word for it because we just do it it's uh, the processes that were or, or, or the concepts that we're injecting into uh, what we do I mean that all that that all costs money uh, or opportunity cost uh, because the way that sericulture has been done, like I said, is just shove as many trees as you can into one plot of land, and then shove as many chemicals as you need to make more. Um, that's one way of doing things. If we're transitioning into organic and getting the certifications um, to prove that we are organic, the the crops no longer have the help, or it's hard, I can't call it help, but unfortunately, they don't have that boost of the synthetic. Um, materials that used to be put mm-hmm. in. And so there's that transition period where they lose where they lose money. And I don't think that anybody's willing to take the three years of losing money uh, to do this sort of stuff. And uh, one way to mitigate that is the regenerative agriculture principles that we're doing. But that also takes time. That takes time for the land to help itself. And on top of that, I mean, another way to then mitigate these costs is if you control the whole supply chain. And then it becomes a question of you know, why aren't more companies trying to control the entire supply chain? Well, it's very simple, it's money. It's, it's, it's especially a lot of today. risk. It's a lot of risk right? as well. It's a lot of risk I as mean, well today.
0: Sure, you 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 maybe cut out different steps and your margins, you know, you capture more of the margin for yourself, but you have a lot more fixed costs, I imagine Exactly, right? Exactly.
1: Exactly. And it's not like I mean especially today, it's not like your business is guaranteed. Um,
0: So how did you guys approach this? I mean, you said it took it was like basically a three year upfront investment where you weren't making any money. Um, You had to, you know, you sure you were maybe theoretically getting higher margins, but it was also, you know, a fairly big financial risk. Like, how did these conversations within Bombix go? I mean, you mentioned that, you know, there was a little bit of like government support and interest in pushing these kind of policies, but surely there had to be more than that to sort of. Yeah, make this decision?
1: <laughs> I mean, it was sort of, um, I mean, look, the decision was made pre-COVID and pre-trade war. Obviously, if we were t- still talking about it at the time of trade war and COVID, I don't know if, I honestly, I can't tell you if we would have gone ahead if the decision was to be made during this, this period. But it was made before then. And before then, it was, if I'm honest, it was looking forward. It was looking forward to how we thought we should be doing things. It was just in seeing, you know, from 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 being a manufacturer and also a trader and seeing that we were at the mercy of not just, and it's a terrible word, but at the mercy of not just our customers, but also the suppliers beforehand, it was like, okay, being stuck in the middle, the customer might change their mind. And if they change their mind, it takes X amount of days for that stuff to come through. And by that time, the customer probably already wanted their goods in their warehouse on shore where they are. It it just wasn't sustainable to keep going down that route mm. because eventually us as a company, if we just stayed where we were in that particular um, you know position, uh, I mean, it, it just wasn't sustainable. It wouldn't work. And so part of it was thinking, okay, we're going to control the entire supply chain. We're going to control when things are going to happen. We're going to control how things are going to happen. Everything is going to be, fine. Uh, and how are we going to make our money? Well, we're going to have an ROI period. We're going to cut out all the middlemen. That's all extra margin that we can then make uh, afterward. It it, it, is, it is a huge upfront investment. It wasn't just the three years of transition that, you know, I don't want to say losing money, but we didn't make as much money as before. Um, but it was also all the stuff that we had to build before where it didn't have any business. So it was a lot of sort of fly by the seat of your pants type stuff it was like okay this is it's it's done go go do it do it go 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 and then while we're doing this we're building the next part it's like okay that needs this amount of money okay we're going to take some money from here we're going to we're going to push it over there it's a lot of it's 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 some really it's some really creative accounting that we had to do uh we had to sort of move things around um you know if that part needed a little extra cash we had to move it from here and take margin from there um and, and 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 so forth but I mean. It was. It's not easy, and we're not done. Honestly, the thing is, um, y- the 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 losses, if you want to call it that, the losses, or or the ROI, we haven't reached the date of ROI yet because our our supply chain isn't complete yet. It will be in two years, you know, or or a year and a bit if everything goes smoothly. But then, obviously, trade war hit, and then COVID hit, and a lot of the partnerships that used to be rock solid. Uh, are no longer that, and it's not their fault either. It's not, you know, the brand partner's fault either, because a lot of their relationships are no longer rock solid. It's sort of like this domino effect where, if the end consumer, you know, just stops buying, then that trickles upward, and we've already started this project. But we have to start getting creative. It's really. It's staying on your toes. I've been on my toes for a couple of years now. I think they're getting pretty strong. Um, but it's, um, it's hey, look, if, if we're not finding the demand in one particular aspect, we have to find the demand elsewhere and we need to continue to fund this project because we believe it's the right thing to do, not just for a company, you know, not just for us as a company, but also all the sustainability projects that we're doing, all, all, all this direction. We feel like it is the right thing to do for society and for the environment. And so it's really that drive it's that that motivates us to keep going because we believe and we have to believe that not only will our brand partners uh choose us because we're doing the right thing or what we feel is the the rightest thing um in our in our capacity but we also feel that the end consumer as you know they've had so much time during covid to stay home and research all the issues that you know circle our industry um and 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 having not seen their friends for, for a little while, you know, I, I think that the consumers, they care. I think that deep down they care, whether it's because they want to one-up their friends or whether it's because they actually care. I think that we need to make the product available for um, when they start asking and they have already started asking. And I think that we're late to the show already.
0: My first question is, is is I'll put them both on the table and then you can choose how you want to answer them. But is PFG a privately owned company? I'm assuming based on everything you've told me that it is. And I'm wondering whether that, uh, you know, played a role in sort of making this decision possible. Um, and then my second question is, you mentioned um, earlier in the conversation that, you know, the company at the time that you first started talking about this didn't really have an interest in sustainability You had been doing a lot of production for Eileen Fisher, which of course is a company that is, um, very interested in sustainability. Um, and so, but, and so for me, this like triggered a thought, which was like, okay, or maybe it was a surprise, like how can, I think people might be surprised, you would think that a supplier that was producing for Eileen Fisher, which is a company that values sustainability, would have maybe seen the business case or, you know, been sort of interested in this topic. And yet that didn't really seem to be the case at Bombex. And the drive for this really seemed to be internal rather than external. It seemed to come from within rather than a push from, from the brand. And so I'm, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about that.
1: So first question is the company privately owned? Yes, it is. The company is privately owned. And yes, it did help in making this um, particular decision to go vertical and also to move toward uh, a more sustainable future, our future. Um, But the second question about uh, having worked with a brand so, um, so focused in sustainability, and then that having that jarring contrast of, of, you know, our company not so interested in sustainability, I'm going to clarify and say that it wasn't so much that the company wasn't interested in sustainability. It was more so the fact that the things that I was talking about and the things that, you know, the the things that were brought up in conversation at the time were really things that were above and beyond, uh, what the customers were asking at the time, um, you know, in our industry, it's, it's not an industry, especially on the manufacturer side uh, and further up the supply chain, it's not an industry where there's a huge amount of margin to do things like research and development and move forward. And so, uh, you know, a, a, a part of, you know, surviving is, well, we have to think about our survival. Uh, you know, it, it isn't that we have, it isn't the case that we have so much money that we can just, yeah, okay, let's just try it. Who cares if it works? It's, that's not the case. But at the time, right. if we were going to move in this direction, while nobody had ever asked about it. For example, regenerative agriculture, this thing, um, I don't think it was even mentioned in much media back then. This was, we're talking five, six years ago. It wasn't a you know buzzword like it is today. And back then, I, I mean, organic certification for silk, if we think today, how many brands do we know actually make organic certified silk? Still, not very many. And so you know, as a company that started over 20 years ago, while we were doing all these things uh, in sustainability with our major customer at the time, um, and I can tell you that they would be, I mean, at the time, we would be very happy to do more had the customer asked for it. Very happy to do it. Not an issue. There's no issue. But if you're talking to a company that's sort of uh, been used to doing things at the customer's behest or request um, to do things that are way above and beyond, and had never been asked for. It's difficult for a company to sort of grasp that, um, and I understand. I can't blame them for it. I can't. I can't blame any bit. I can't blame anybody. You mean, for like it. from
0: a mindset, from a mindset perspective,
1: exactly from a mindset. Because I, I mean, all of this stuff that we had to do, it was it was sort of it seemed counterintuitive to um, the way that they were used to doing things. Again, yeah. I, I, I reiterate the fact that you know, if there were an obvious need or an obvious sort of, I want to say requirement, because that's, that's a very specific word that I chose. If there was an obvious requirement to get a particular certification or, or to change the way that certain things were done, very happy to do it. I mean, 12 years ago, 12, 15 years ago, we got blue sign. Nobody got that. I mean, blue sign, that's, that, that, that's extra cost. That's extra cost in our in our in our in our facility, an extra cost to get that um, certification. Uh, we got other certifications at our existing facilities. That's all extra cost. I mean, compared to the way that things were done back then, that's all extra cost into a particular facility. But. To then do things like, okay, hold on, I don't want you to plant so many mulberry trees in that particular plot of land, even though in their mind, knowingly, all of the neighbors are trying to jam as many trees into their land as possible. If I come in and say, hold on, nobody's doing it right, everybody's doing it wrong for this many years. Everybody's doing it wrong. It's all wrong. You can't plant as many trees as you want into this land. You actually have to plant less. And then the question was, wait, hold on, but we make silk. You, you understand what I'm saying? It's it's one of those. It seemed counterintuitive. And 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 as soon as anybody starts a new project, uh, especially from a business standpoint, they want to see their ROI as short as possible. And so when you talk about things like organic, they're like, wait, wait, hold on, wait, we have to lose money for three years, at least. Hold on, that doesn't make any sense. From a business standpoint, it seems not to make any sense. And at the time, it wasn't like any customer was specifically requesting, "Oh, you need to get the organic certification." Today they are. Today they are. Um, and and and. and I, I was I was going to start to mention this earlier but um this last trip this last trip that I took um to China uh and and I normally see um some government officials while I while, while I'm up there and it seems like everybody is talking about it now everybody is talking about um you know the environmental issues they're 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 praising us for the things that we're doing on our on our farms they see all the local farmers uh make so much more money than they used to before we came in and these are all points of praise from from the government and it's it's like it's it's really encouraging to see that because it's all sort of coming together that demand is coming together all of our customers are asking for it the government is asking for it everybody's asking for us why aren't we doing it yet well we are we are, and unfortunately, you know, there's there's um you know, again, trade war, COVID, we have to look at it again. Now I'm on the other side of things. I'm like, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We have to look at it from a business side of things because we have to ensure that everybody's getting paid properly at each stage. We have to ensure that everything's getting taken care of at each stage. It's easy to say, we're gonna throw all of our money into this now. But no, you know, and we're building the next few stages. We are building the next few stages. And I'm, and I'm exaggerating now, obviously. I'm exaggerating now, um, you know, some of the, the ways that people are thinking. But it was tough. Honestly, it was tough back then to talk about things like this. I remember I was talking about regenerative agriculture um, with some new customers uh, four and a bit years ago, five years ago. And I was trying to approach and get new customers that I thought would be interested in this sort of thing. And they looked at me sort of... They looked at me... I, They didn't really know what I was talking about. Um, I can't say who.
0: It's interesting to hear you say that, though, because um, I guess two things that you've said like really um, uh, echo something that I've heard from a lot of the people we've had on the show. One was the shift in mindset that was required and sort of like, you know, instead of to taking a a real leadership role in terms of direct in terms of directing the conversation that's something I've heard several suppliers on this show talk about like that shift internally and you know how and when that happened and how that's also changed the conversation but also um, uh, the their role as kind of educators you know in terms of like and I had this as well like when I was as a factory manager dealing with brands, like a lot of times my counterpart or the person I was talking to knew very little about how their products were actually made. And so like before we could even begin to have a conversation about how to do it better, there was a lot of like groundwork that had to be laid to sort of even just engage in the conversation sort of from a similar place. Um, I have one last question do you does Bombics produce enough silk now to supply hundred percent of the uh, NCKF uh, cut and sew that you're doing, or is it? Are you still using like a, a, a mix? Because I imagine that reaching scale is also something that's a challenge, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, at this very uh, at this very moment, because the middle bits. Aren't built yet so for example the filament extraction the are spinning the fabric weaving these parts are done by um uh, our partner facilities that we found mm. close to um our farms and and we pick them specifically uh for various reasons but because these things aren't built yet um you know it's 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 hard to say that you know it's hard to say yes or no by calculations yes by calculations our cocoons that come out of the farms are more than enough to satisfy the production at our NCKF, but because those cocoons will then get sold to various facilities, and we sort them based on which facilities have what certifications and so forth, um, and then we buy them back. We buy the fabric back from mm-hmm. them. So they basically either it's like a CM thing, a CM deal that we have with them, or we fully sell it to them, and then then we fully buy back their material.
0: Is it kind of sorry, is it kind of like the challenge you see with cotton, where it's like cotton is grown in lots of different ways? And to some, you know, some are doing regenerative, some are doing organic, whatever, and then it gets sold and consolidated, you know, at different levels. And then that's where it sort of gets hard to, to, to trace, keep track. Is that what Yeah, to trace? Is that what you is that what you're, is that what you're talking about? Or am I misunderstanding? And for listeners interested in knowing more about the issues surrounding cotton traceability, I highly recommend going back and checking out our conversation with Crispin Argento of the Sorcery, and that's episodes forty-three and forty-four. Our conversation with Shahi Exports in in episode twenty-eight, and last but not least, our conversation with Canon Michael, a California cotton grower, in episodes forty-one and forty-two.
1: Well, yes and no, I actually you didn't misunderstand. you understand fully well, and then some more um because I mean with this <laughs> see not many people would think about this issue right away, but it for sure is an issue because let's say, for example, I have a portion of my land um a hu- uh, a huge portion of my land that's organic, and then another huge portion of my land is that that's that's not organic, one that's certified and one that's not certified. If I sell both um if I sell output from both of these parts of the land. To so one facility and the facility isn't doing their sorting properly, then I mm-hmm. can't tell you 100% if there's any organic material in the fabric that comes out of that facility right. in this particular batch. I can't tell you 100%, which and is then why. Th- is, that,
0: is that why you want to do it yourself eventually too? Well, yes
1: and no. Uh, yes, uh, because when we go on to get our further certifications, one of, one of the requirements obviously is traceability and the proper and diligent Sorting of organic and non-organic material, the 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 deliberate separation of it. I mean, it goes into you know some 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 of the some of the requirements go into the lubricant that they use within the machine that processes the silk. I mean, it's that deep. Um, But also because these facilities that we choose are the best that we've seen in various aspects, and we still feel like there's a better way. We still feel like these facilities could be built in a better way. It's not to blame them; they're doing great. Um but for example, I mean I don't see the solar panels on any any of them right now that are making silk. It is it just isn't a requirement um from customers yet um to have that sort of uh you know equipment and that costs money. That costs that costs money that there's an ROI involved in yeah. this one example.
0: And that's what we hear. I've heard a lot about cotton too, is that it's about understanding the risk profile at sort of each step of the chain and understanding, you know, what the, what the incentives are and therefore what it would mean. Like you said, it's not, it's not about just, it's not as simple as like, oh, people just aren't interested or don't want to do it. You know, you have to understand what the risk profile is.
1: Right, right. And so that's why that's why I mean that's what Bombix is wants to represent. What we want to do is we want to make aspirational silk. And what I mean by aspirational silk is what we think the golden standard of silk should be. Not just as a material, but in the manufacturing of it. We also mm-hmm. want to make enlightened silk and we want to mm-hmm. show people the issues that are existing in current sericulture, the current production of silk. It's things like I mentioned in this, in this, uh, in this past 40-something 40, 40 minutes that we've been talking. It's, I mean, there's issues at, at each part of these, um, at each part of production, whether it's the farm, whether it's dyeing, whether it's degumming. all of these. And, and we're just trying to do it a better way um, than what's already happening now. Mm. So that's, that's, that's what Bombic stands for. And that's why we want to do it uh, vertically because it'll mm. also help the traceability. And we're building the entire thing all within Sichuan, all within Nanchong. And so we also limit the uh, the carbon emissions in domestic trucking. So there's that, but I mean yeah. it's really a traceability
0: thing. Thank you so much for sharing. And, no, thank you. Uh, um, it's been it's been such a pleasure. And uh, yeah, like I said, it's opened up a lot more questions. So I hope we get the chance sometime to continue the conversation. Thank you for listening to Manufactured. Support the show by following me on Instagram at manufactured_podcast, or sign up for the bi-weekly newsletter at www.manufacturedpodcast.com for an overview of the latest episodes, articles I've recently published, and links to off-the-beaten-path reading. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can make a Patreon donation at www.manufacturedpodcast.com. Last but not least, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes and hit subscribe. This helps other people find the show, and I'd really love your help with that.